an Audi original. I've been looking for Belinda Walter. I've got to say, it hasn't been easy. For starters, her online presence seems to have been almost entirely scrubbed. All of her social media profiles appear to have gone. Even in the modern age, where it's almost impossible not to leave behind a digital fingerprint, Belinda Walter appears to have vanished. But in and amongst the cache of documents relating to BAT that we've been shown was an email address for Belinda. An old email address, to be sure. But I figured it was worth a shot, so I sent Belinda an email. And several hours later, I got a reply. This email account has been disabled. Now, you might think this was a dead end. But if you examine the email a little closer, you can see it was a curious response. It wasn't your regular bounce-back email. It took hours to arrive, and it came in the form of an entirely new email thread with a new subject line. It seemed that there was a decent chance that Belinda really might be on the other end of the line. So I replied to the email. And within a day, a response popped into my inbox. This time from Belinda directly. But it wasn't an email to me. I was just CC'd in. It was an email to the South African State Security Agency, the equivalent of the UK's MI5, the state intelligence agency where Belinda had worked as an undercover informant. The email is read by an actor. I referred to the email below and attached correspondence alleged to be from journalists. I noted it in a spam folder, which is controlled through a third-party spam management service which provides automatic responses to spammers. I bring this matter to the SSA's attention should they wish to adhere to the South African legal requirements and file with your officers an application in terms of the Promotion of Access to Information Act and draw the attention of the journalists to the following legal provisions to which the request relates. Belinda then rattles off a series of South African laws which she implies we may be in breach of for trying to tell this story, including... Section 261D of the Intelligence Services Act, 65 of 2002, which states, A person commits an offence if he or she, without the approval of the minister, in any manner publishes any name, description, title or symbol that indicates that such activity is carried under the patronage of the intelligence services. She then appears to make a couple of digs at her former lover, Johan van Lochenberg, alleging, without providing any evidence, that he's been funded by criminal syndicates. Johan dismisses the allegations out of hand. To try to decode what Belinda says here, you just need to bear in mind that Johan's an author these days. I expect that this is the same version of events and fabrications of our friend and the criminal syndicates which fund the failed writing endeavours. Please be aware, should further criminal action be required for unlawful disclosures or reference to agents and methods. And then she addressed me directly. To the journalist, please note that this request follows on numerous over the last nine years from foreign journalists who are scammed by the fabrications and realise their folly at some stage. Countless in the industry have been coerced, intimidated or paid to make allegations about which they have no knowledge and many have subsequently forwarded apologies and retractions. Kindly do not attempt to contact me again. Yours sincerely, Belinda Walter. 
My name is Victoria Hollingsworth from the Bureau of Investigative Journalism. This is the story of how British American Tobacco, one of the world's largest companies, came to be involved in espionage, enlisting a network of spies and informants with the effect of helping to secure the lucrative South African tobacco market. BAT denies any wrongdoing and says it was simply trying to eliminate illicit trade in the industry. I was really hoping we'd be able to get Belinda's side of the story in all of this, but it doesn't seem like she wants to play ball. Fortunately for us, she left behind a big body of information, including what we believe to be hard evidence. So we're going to pick through it to see if we can untangle the knotted web of truth and lies she left behind. Last time, we heard a lot of allegations. This time, it's all about exploring what we know. This is episode five, The Englishman, The Welshman and The Scotsman. Here's a few things we know for certain. Belinda really was a spy for BAT. They paid her £30,500 in cash in return for information on her clients, BAT's competitors. The money was loaded onto Travelex cards in London by BAT UK. We know this is true because we've seen copies of Belinda's Travelex cards as well as receipts for the money she withdrew using those cards. And we also have a letter written by BAT to Belinda confirming that they paid her in this way and the amounts that they paid. It's an admission of sorts. In the letter, BAT says that it was paying Belinda in return for information on illegal activity in the tobacco market it says that this information was used to support South African law enforcement and that Belinda was, quote, extremely helpful. BAT's position is that this was all above board, nothing to see here. But if it was all so normal, why did they pay her in cash? And how many arrests and prosecutions did Belinda's information actually lead to? I can tell you. There are none. Zero. I know of not one single detention or seizure or criminal prosecution or even person arrested and charges dropped that resulted from the exchange of information between Ms. Walter and British American Tobacco. Despite our requests, BAT have provided no evidence that Belinda's information resulted in successful arrests, seizures or prosecutions. We don't know for sure exactly what information Belinda gave BAT. Only Belinda and her handlers know exactly what transpired between them. But there is a clue hidden in Belinda's WhatsApp messages with the South African recruiter who facilitated Belinda's introduction to BAT. In the messages, Belinda said that her BAT handler was interested in, quote, confidential docs, documents on one of her clients, a rival tobacco firm. One of the biggest commercial competitors in cigarettes on the African continent. Uh, 
I mean, how do they explain that? How do they get around that? Now, Johan's obviously got a dog in this fight. So let's hear from someone who doesn't. At worst, it's highly immoral. But it may even be illegal. That's Jonathan Benton. I wanted to get Jonathan's opinion because he's a British former cop with a history of investigating serious and complex financial crimes. I'm a former senior detective. I was a detective superintendent in the Metropolitan Police and the National Crime Agency. And I've spent much of the latter part of my career leading complex global investigations into corruption and bribery. So what does he make of BAT paying Belinda for confidential documents like this? Very uncomfortable with it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't. You know, there's huge breaches of confidence and trust there. The payment bit is where I'm most uncomfortable because paying somebody a lot of money to incentivize them to give information can suddenly um, put you in quite dangerous territory. If I'm South African law enforcement and I'm trying to track down the illicit activity of tobacco trading, we must be very, very clear, very clear as to how I'm engaging with any private company that's providing me information and where it's that information is coming from. Jonathan's keen to stress that he's not able to say whether or not what BAT did was actually illegal – Only the authorities could make that judgment. So what have the UK authorities done about all of this? In 2017, the Serious Fraud Office in the UK opened an investigation into BAT's operations across the African continent. But then, in January of this year, the case was shelved, citing lack of evidence. The SFO told us that... Following our three-year investigation, we concluded that the evidence did not meet the evidential tests as defined in the Code for Crown Prosecutors. There is a high bar for the SFO to charge individuals or companies with a criminal offence. Where the evidence does not support a potential conviction, it would not be in the public interest for us to continue with our investigation. We continue to assist our international law enforcement partners with ongoing investigations related to this matter. BAT stresses in response to our questions that the SFO had decided not to proceed. But it remains a decision that's left Johan a little baffled. They haven't seen my evidence, so how would they know? If they didn't know of my existence, understandable. They absolutely indicated the desire to interview me and asked whether I would be willing to provide them with a statement. And I confirmed it in no uncertain terms. I would. I say there's evidence. Um, They just haven't seen it. So what did the SFO allegedly miss out on hearing about? What secrets did Johan's investigation, Project Honey Badger, uncover? He's pretty restricted in what he can say publicly. But I can tell you what I understand. I'm going to give you the inside scoop on what it appears Project Honey Badger uncovered.
It's September 2013. We're at Heathrow Airport, right back where we started. But this time, we're not waiting for Belinda to touch down. We're inside Terminal 1, by the Travelex counter. This is a narrative account of the facts. It's a story based on what we know from various sources. A man walks up to the counter. He works for BAT. He's here to load up money onto a Travelex card. £3,000 to be precise. We don't know exactly who this man is. He could be one of a number of people. But I can tell you that he's loading money onto a Travelex card bearing the signature of a man we're calling the Welshman. Remember him? Have you told anyone about our payment to you? The Welshman was a senior manager in BAT's team set up to combat illicit activity within the tobacco industry. He was also the handler of a number of informants, including Belinda. The Welshman's name was linked to several Travelex cards, and so was the name of his BAT boss, a man we're calling the Scotsman. He's got a name, yeah? Think clearly now, yeah? And also, linked to the cards. We have photocopies of the two Travelex cards BAT gave Belinda. The Welshman's signature appears to be on one, and Belinda's signature is on the other. Although we don't believe either card was registered in her name. Are they linked to the cards? You took the money from the cards, yeah? No, I know, but I've never known in whose name the cards are. I assumed in yours. Travelex are cash cards. You load them up in one country and can then withdraw the cash in another in local currency. They're used by holidaymakers as an easy way to transfer money to use abroad. As a cash-based system, prepaid cards like this have been vulnerable to abuse by people who wanted to launder money, like terrorists or drug gangs. And it's the system that BAT's team were exploiting to reward their informants for all the good information they were getting using BAT's cash. Travelix confirmed to us that it is completely against their rules to use their cards in this way. On the other side of the world, in the Southern Hemisphere, a man is punching in his pin code. We're looking at him through the camera of the cash machine. He's another one of BAT's informants, and he's collecting his earnings. I can't tell you what the man's name is, I could speculate, but we're dealing in hard facts here. Plus, our lawyers might have kittens. What I can tell you is that this man lives in South Africa, and he works in the tobacco industry. Like Belinda, he works for BAT's competitors, and the regular payments he's been receiving have been flagged by the bank as suspicious. Which is how they came to the attention of Johan van Lochrenberg and his investigators. They used the ATM cameras to determine that the man withdrawing the cash wasn't the same as the man who signed the back of the Travelex cards. It was this piece of investigative work that led them to realise that BAT were using the cards to make covert payments to their rivals' employees. The fundamental question in all of this is, why was BAT paying these people? It says it was doing it to get information about illegal activities. Here's Johan. 
if if the answer is as simple as BAT PLC uh, United Kingdom did South Africa a favor to collect evidence of wrongdoing in order to root out the bad guys well show us make it public show us how great BAT was in uh, combating you know the illicit economy in South Africa because i haven't seen any evidence of that so who were the men in charge of this operation and what were they up to basically we're dealing with people who are in the business of trying to hide their footprints you know trying to hide their fingerprints andy roll is a journalist and academic researcher he works for an organisation called the Tobacco Control Research Group, an investigative unit at the University of Bath. He's been working with us on our investigation and he's seen the same leaked documents as us. And he's been digging into Belinda's handlers. There were three in total, the Englishman, the Welshman and the Scotsman. Belinda referred to each of these men as the POM. The Englishman was Belinda's first handler, the Welshman was the second, and the Scotsman? He was the boss. He was the head of BAT's Anti-Illicit Trade Intelligence Unit from 2009 to 2015. Before he joined BAT, the Scotsman had had a military career, including intelligence experience. So why would BAT need to hire such a person? On the surface, you would employ someone with their great investigative skills to make sure that your product's not being smuggled um, or to make sure that uh, there was no counterfeit happening. People pretending to be BAT brands and putting that product into the market. But this doesn't seem to be the case with BAT you know, in this, you know, in this story. But what, what seems to have happened in South Africa is that's kind of flipped on its head. So precisely what were these three men, the Englishman, the Welshman and the Scotsman, really up to? Were they simply just helping law enforcement in South Africa? To find out, we need to investigate their activities there. The easiest way to gather intelligence is by paying somebody, you know. Um, call it corruption, call it bribery, you know, but money talks and a lot of angry people in South Africa... A lot of people will do um, a lot of things if you pay them money. That's Francois van der Westhausen. Francois is an ex-cop. My career was mostly spent at murder and robbery unit. More than a decade after he left the force, Francois went to work for a private intelligence security company called Forensic Security Services, or FSS. It was an FSS agent who first introduced Belinda to BAT. From 2000 to 2016, BAT employed FSS as their boots on the ground in South Africa. They were, to all intents and purposes, working like an extension of BAT's anti-illicit unit. We only had one client, and it was BAT, British American Tobacco. Francois is exaggerating a little bit here. FSS did have a number of other clients, but a main one was BAT. Francois was just one of a fleet of former cops that BAT contracted. 
and he claims he worked closely with the Englishman and the Welshman to try to obtain information about rival tobacco companies. One way he says he did this was by setting up a fake recruitment company. Let me be brutally honest. Uh, They actually came up with the idea, you know. It came from British American Tobacco to set up a company where they would then go and recruit people for a new tobacco plant that would be up and running. Wow, that's pretty inventive. So they came over from the UK to set up this fake recruitment firm to to do what? Get some of the people to come and do ask for employment and once you can get the people's CVs for employment and then you would uh, interview them and decided upon the people that we should employ and, and as, as sources within the factories. We've looked into this and it's true. FSS really did set up a fake recruitment company and according to Francois, the whole thing was BAT's idea. Here's how it worked, according to Francois. FSS would put up job adverts targeting people who worked for BAT's competitors. They would advertise for positions targeting the kind of people in the kinds of roles they were looking to pay as informants. They created a website and we handed out business cards. But the easiest way to do it actually, you know, in South Africa is that you go put up a, get one of the chaps to go and put up a note on the notice board that they're looking for these kind of people for employment. So do they put that, they did all this advertising very close to one of the areas of interest, uh, one of BAT's competitors? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Francois told me an example of the kind of people the Englishman and the Welshman were looking for. He told me that one source was a security guard working in one of BAT's competitors' factories. They identified him as an ex-policeman now working with, uh, you know, in the field of security within the factory. They approached them directly. They were selected, you know, for, for their contacts within the the local manufacturing plants, how many people they had working there, how many friends they had working there, especially family members, you know. Despite being ostensibly a recruitment company, Francois says the whole thing was just a front. But there was no job at the end of it for the people that had handed over the information? No, no, no. Uh, we, we recruited them solely on the basis of becoming sources, you know. But, but what would they, as individuals, be told? Would they be told that they were going to, uh, would they be interested in being a paid informant for British American Tobacco? No, I don't I don't think it would be put that way straight. It would be more like a case of they would um, fool them by saying, you know, we, we, we are actually from law enforcement agencies and you're going to work undercover, that kind of thing. That's what they believed. So the informants that were presumably taking great risk... Under a false pretenses, yeah. False pretenses that it was for law enforcement, directly for law enforcement. Correct. I mean, did, did they ever find out the truth? No. Um, the sources that I handled right up till the time that I left firmly still believed that I was from law enforcement agency. And what's wrong with that? Well, it's, <laughs> it's illegal, you know. Um, you, you cannot impersonate uh, yourself as being a police officer when you're not a police officer. We put Francois' claims to BAT. It didn't respond to questions on that point specifically, but it says its activities were for the purpose of combating illicit trade. The Englishman and the Welshman also strenuously deny any wrongdoing. 
But if what Francois says here is correct, it's still pretty mind-blowing. Francois is admitting to helping BAT set up a fake recruitment company to try and snare informants from their competitors' factories. And according to Francois' claims, some of those informants believed that they were getting paid on behalf of law enforcement and not one of their employer's competitors. The FSS-BAT operation was huge. Based on the invoices we've seen, we can estimate that BAT was paying up to £5 million a year to bankroll their private intelligence operation. FSS had bases all across South Africa, with regional teams feeding information through headquarters back to BAT. All that work created a massive paper trail. Everything was logged and recorded. After all, they needed to be able to prove to their BAT bosses that they were really getting their money's worth for all that investment. Francois left FSS back in May 2015. He says he'd grown disillusioned with the kind of work he was being asked to do. When he left the company, Francois took a huge amount of documentation with him. He decided to become a whistleblower. I can't tell you where he is now, but I can tell you that he no longer lives in South Africa. BAT didn't comment on Francois' claims specifically, but said that all the allegations are not new and have been investigated. Francois has been showing us all that paperwork. It's an astonishing window into how it appears the operation worked. We've been digging through the documents. They paint an incredible picture of the scale of the industrial espionage carried out on behalf of BAT. SIN 025, total paid, 16,000 rand. SIN 005, total paid, 30,000 rand. SIN 095, total paid, 45,000 rand. This is from just one of those documents. It's a spreadsheet full of names and payments made between 2010 and 2013. SIN 124, total paid, 75,000 rand. It appears to be a list of informants FSS had recruited. It details when they were recruited and who their handlers were and exactly how much they'd been paid annually using BAT's money. SIN 109, total paid, 120,000 rand. In 2013, 120,000 rand was worth 7,000 pounds. That might not seem like a lot of money, certainly chicken feed for a multinational like BAT, but it would be a lot of money to someone working for the South African minimum wage, which was just 50p an hour. The document shows that each of the informants had what's referred to as a SIN number, a special informant number. It's a kind of code number to help protect the identity of the sources. FSS kind of blew the whole point, though, by also putting the name of the informant in the document next to the SIN number. On the face of it, it seems a pretty shoddy operation. This is just one of hundreds of thousands of documents we've been shown. From pulling together several different spreadsheets like this one, we're able to give you a sense of just how big the network of informants providing information for BAT appeared to be. By our calculations, 
As of 2014, there were around 200 informants on the operation's books. People who worked in opposition factories, on production and distribution lines, security guards, pilots responsible for flying cigarettes across borders. This story is way bigger than just Belinda Walter. BAT were paying for a network of spies on a widespread scale. And it was signed off from their offices in South Africa and London. Which means that the senior men in the anti-illicit team, the Englishman, the Welshman and the Scotsman, were likely aware of at least some of what FSS were doing with BAT's money. Can it really be that BAT was spending all of this money just to help South African law enforcement? Can it ever be justified for a private company to be secretly paying that many of its opponents' employees? BAT maintains vehemently that there was no wrongdoing. Spearheading that intelligence operation on the ground were the ex-cops at FSS, like Francois. If we're going to get to the bottom of what BAT was up to in South Africa, we need to dig deeper into the shadowy private intelligence company they contracted to carry out their mission. That's coming up next time on Smokescreen. Smokescreen is a podcast from the Bureau of Investigative Journalism for Audi, produced by Novel. It was produced and written by Tom Wright. It was researched and investigated by me, Victoria Hollingsworth, Matthew Chapman and Malcolm Rees. Our executive producers were Max O'Brien, Myrian Jones, Rachel Oldroyd, David Medell, Owen Bennett-Jones and James Ball. Our fact-checkers were Alice Millican and Frankie Goodway. It was mixed and edited by Alex Portfelix. been enjoying Smokescreen, please don't forget to like, comment and share this podcast. Apparently it helps other people hear about it. 